Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, I never expected this. It's more like, yeah, this is who you should always, this is who you always were. And this is who I, who I always thought you were. So it was more like, yeah, you were in your right place. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Live Through That, the companion podcast to my book of the same name where I look at influential 90s musicians and where they are today. I'm Mike Hipple, and on this podcast, we'll dig a little bit deeper into a pivotal moment into the lives of some of the artists I feature in my book. On this week's episode, we're talking to the charismatic frontman of the band Buffalo Tom, Bill Janovitz. In addition to his duties with Buffalo Tom, he's also the author of two books on the Rolling Stones, as well as an upcoming biography of Leon Russell. Today, he tells us about his beloved Uncle Vince and the effect he had on his life. dad each had one sibling which is weird because they're irish catholic and italian catholic my mom's italian and it's weird you'd think that new york irish and catholic families would have these huge sprawling families but they didn't they each had one sibling and their siblings were considerably younger four or six years younger than four or six years younger than them and in my mom's case it was my it was my uncle and he was gay and he he you know it was sort of unaccepted uh, by his by his parents they 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 didn't, he wasn't completely estranged, but he split as soon as he could. He went, he joined the Navy during Vietnam, I think mostly so he wouldn't get drafted into the army. And he left, uh, he, he got a, a real taste and a love for Asia during that time. Um, when he returned, he went to Haight-Ashbury at the height of the 60s. He talked about seeing Janis Joplin and how, at a house party. He talked about, you know, taking acid with, with this person or this, I mean, just incredible sort of stories. And then he went on to Hawaii, eventually got his master's and came back to New York um, in the 80s, just before I moved to Massachusetts. And so I got to go into the city, which I was sort of doing by myself when I was like 13 or 14. My par- our parents would let us take the take the train in this in, on a weekend day, and we'd go to Manny's Music at 4DA Street, look at the guitars, and 
so it was, you know, which was kind of crazy because because New York because Times Square was insane back then, you know, late seventies, early eighties. But my uncle moved down to the low, uh, East Village, right around the corner from where the Fillmore East was, uh, had been, I should say, it was the Saint back then. So it was really cool. Like here, I have this cool gay uncle, uh, he, you know, and his boyfriend, who I didn't know his boyfriend, I just thought it was his roommate, you know, at the time. Um, they were his 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 boyfriend, who I'm friends with to this day. And I'm going to see in about a month in Palm Springs. He's this incredible taste in music, and he he encouraged my uncle to buy me these records for my 14th birthday: "Remain in Light" by Talking Heads, a Nina Hagen record, and a, a record by this band that nobody had heard of called U2. Boy, and I was just like. I was the envy of my friends. They're like, well, how do you know about this stuff? I'm like, well, you know, my, 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 my uncle and his boyfriend in New York brought me this stuff. My first impression was when I first met him, which was at his, his youngest brother's christening, which was in Long Island at an American Legion Hall in 1981. That's Neil Hadeen, Vince's boyfriend at the time. He shares how he knew Bill would enjoy his record choices. And he was 14 and I was 23. And um, he was, he had a band already and they were, his band was playing at the christening at the, you know, American Legion Hall for his new baby brother. And, you know, when I heard, when I heard what the plans were and the evening was and that his 14 year old nephew, his band was gonna be playing my, my expert expectations weren't very high but i was really surprised at how how good his good he was you know at that age and i i was working at that time for in new york for a messenger company and we dealt with a lot of clients in music and entertainment industry and so i had just told him i said if you have a you know if you have a demo that you will you know i can help you get around to people you know just let me know that never came to anything but I was I was just impressed right away with how, you know, how technically proficient he was even at 14. Well, I had just I just moved to New York from Honolulu the previous year. Vince and I had moved from Honolulu to New York. And I was I was in Honolulu, I was very into the alternative music scene, but being Honolulu, nobody nobody ever toured there. So the only the only people I ever got to see, I saw the police play in 1979 in Hawaii. And they actually, since no one knew who they were, they played in the cafeteria at the University of Hawaii <laughs> for about 200 people. <laughs> so I was interested in, and I'd been a Talking Heads fan, even in Hawaii, even though I'd never seen them live. And when I got to New York, that's when Remain in Light came out. And the, the first concert I went to when I moved to New York in 1980, last, I think it was October of 1980 or November 1980, was uh, Talking Heads Remain in Light tour at Radio City. So that was my first concert in New York. So I was very excited about that band. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd heard some Nina Hagen when I was in Hawaii. Uh, I worked in a discotheque in Hawaii, so I had, a, I had access to a lot of music that wasn't otherwise out there. Um, and then uh, U2, that was their first album, had just come out, and which I thought was just phenomenal. So I just, those are the three that I, I picked up. So I would go visit them in the East Village. It was like 1979, 1980. Crazy great stuff. I mean, like, you want to talk about, like, the kid growing up 40 minutes outside of the city and 
always wanted to be in New York. I mean, and my uncle was always just this guy that was like, when I was 21, um, I, I, I'm jumping ahead now, so I, I would still come back and forth and visit him. But I was, when I was 20, I should say, the summer of 86, before Buffalo Tom started, the summer before the fall that Buffalo Tom started, my uncle had me come down and work for him, this cushy job, 15 bucks an hour, which back then was like insane amounts of money for a college kid, just doing data entry, which I couldn't even I couldn't even do adequately in an office for Citicorp. And he had, he was in the HR department there. And at the end of it, he's like, he, he brought me to this Indian restaurant on sixth street or wherever, wherever the Indian restaurants are. Uh, there's a whole sort of block of them. And he said, um, I, he goes, I want to tell you something. And I said, yeah, he goes, don't ever work in an office. You, you suck at working in an office. You can't do this. This is not, who you are. He said, what do you want? And I laughed. I said, thank you so much. And he's like, what do you want to do? And it, I had a great summer, by the way. I was living with a, two friends in a single room occupancy hotel. And then we moved down to their own apartment. They got their own apartment on Fifth Street between second and third. Amazing time to be in New York. Had the summer of my life. Um, and here's my uncle telling me, don't, don't work in an office ever. He said, do what you want to do. What do you want to do? I said, I want to do music. He said, do music. He said, you know, um, and I, I sort of choke up here because he's like, you, you'll always make money. You, you'll always, money will always come. You'll, I said, look at me. I sh I've always wanted to, de to design furniture. Here I am working in a, a fucking corporate office job. You know, this is not me. He said, I'm going to stop this. You should stop this too. And he was only in his, I probably in his, what? Um, I guess he was just around 40 or so. Uh, and he was making a huge life change. So... Uh, and then he asked me, you know, are you going to get married? And I said, well, are you going to get married? He said, well, I'm a different case. And I said, I guess you're right. Uh, so, but out of that conversation, sort of that fall, I went back to school for Buffalo Tom and met my wife. Um, pretty incredible. And, but uh, he and I were extremely close. And even when he became estranged from my mom during the George W. Bush years, when politics have really started to become divisive, Way, you know, we, we, we forget because Trump has, has reset the game. It's been insane. But my, he and my mom, he really sort of drew a line in the sand uh, because my parents are conservative and he obviously was not. So, um, but we stayed in touch. Anyway, 2011, I get this call from his uh, business partner. Um, he had this furniture store in Miami. He had moved to Miami. He started designing furniture like he said he was going to. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, I, I hesitate uh, because I get choked up. But I get this call from uh, Vincent. Is my, my, my uncle's name was, was Vince Pravada, uh, Vincent Pravada. But his partner, business partner, was Vincent Tom, who's still a great friend of mine. And um, so Vincent Tom calls me and said, Billy, I have, some, uh, I have some bad news. And I said, what? He goes, um, your uncle has been murdered. I mean, I, I don't know how he, I don't, I don't remember exactly what he said. I wrote it, I wrote it in the piece. Um, and it's, it, uh, it just, it just, you know, completely took, took it out of me. I mean, uh, uh, so what happened was, I, I still don't know to this day, the guy's in jail, he pleaded um, uh, and he's still in jail. I, 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 it, uh, but what happened was my uncle, not just with me, but with my siblings and with other kids was always sort of this mentor type personality. And he had 
uh, he had a housekeeper whom he loved and who loved him. Um, and she had a son who I think he was autistic. He definitely had some issues trying to adjust to schools. Vince was trying to help him in that regard. And this kid, um, his name was, uh, I think it's James uh, Arouse. Um, he, uh, he showed up or didn't show up at one point. So I think my uncle was, oh, my uncle was writing him this letter of recommendation for a job at like Toys R Us, something like that. And um, my uncle wrote him this letter and said, come and pick it up at this certain time. And, and the kid didn't come. And then he came late or a different day. And my uncle's like, my uncle was not a shrinking violet. My uncle was not somebody to avoid confrontation. He, he was a, probably a bit of a hothead if truth be told. And I don't know what he told the kid, but the kid, it set the kid off and the kid stabbed my, my uncle to death. And it was a brutal scene. Um, and, um, and the kid claimed, knowing my uncle was gay, claimed that it was unwanted sexual advances, which is an incredible thing um, to, uh, to, <laughs> to, have to, to have to deal with, you know? Um, so I'm trying to condense this a bit, but I, I, I got this call almost immediately, like the day after, maybe even the night of, of the murder, um, saying I was from a lawyer saying I was the executor, I'm the executor of my uncle's estate, which I had no idea. My uncle didn't ask me. I'm, uh, I found it both an honor, but also uh, a tremendous responsibility. So now I'm going down to Miami and I, I go to Miami, uh, you know, I've got two little kids at this point. Um, luckily I have my wife who's completely take, takes care of the kids all the time. I'm just showing up and punching the clock from time to time. Um, and uh, uh, so I go down to Miami and I stay in his house, which is, still has bloodstains um, uh, on, on the gate. And uh, I, I kind of wrote a song a bit about some of the images going through his stuff and uh, how devastatingly, just how devastating that was. Um, just to have to deal with, with, with what next, you know? I had to meet with the detectives uh, because we, they still, when I came down to Miami, they, just, they still didn't know how the, what had happened, you know? Um, the, I, I got, I, you know, I went into the detective's office. We went through theories. They're asking me what I knew if there were, and, and my uncle had this project, this renovation project. He had just, he had just designed and built this master bedroom suite addition to his cool, you know, little, you know, Miami, South Miami house. Um, and it had just been finished. It's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, just crazy timing. So there were questions about, whoa, well, maybe it was people that were coming in and out of the house and we had no idea. And, but it didn't take long because the kid was, you know, not the brightest bulb and took my uncle's credit cards and went to Wendy's. Oh, he went to Toys R Us. I don't know if he was going for a job. I, he, he went and bought like a Game Boy or something, you know, a, some sort of video game thing. And it just took less than a week. They went to his house uh, and he, uh, his mother answered the door or maybe he answered the door and he had cuts all over his hand, bandaged. So it was only, a, it was a very quick thing there. Um, for me, I didn't feel a ton of animosity to the kid. I just felt like just, I was still dealing with, and I still don't, by the way. I never felt that sort of level of like, you know, Put him in the chair, kind of thing. It was just more like, uh, what a what a horrible, horrible thing for to happen to both people. I mean, I was definitely angry 
And I think my anger comes out more in the piece I wrote a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know where else to go with that. I mean, my uncle meant so much to me. Um, and, and uh, you know, it, it, it brought, it brought uh, me together with two of his dearest friends, uh, three of his dearest friends, and the three of us uh, ranging from age like 70 something uh, down to me being at that time, I was probably, you know, 45 or so. Um, uh, we, uh, we went to uh, Hawaii, my only time to Hawaii and spread his ashes up uh, off of Lanakai Beach. And we had uh, an amazing time, the three of us, in a house that we rented for the better part of a week, just getting to know each other better and, and forming lifelong bonds there. So he brought us together there. I mean, he wasn't into our music, but he was really, uh, you know, the fact that we would play CBs or the Pyramid or whatever in New York, I think was was a, <laughs> I think he got a real kick out of that. But it, I think he, it wasn't like, oh, I never expected this. It was more like, yeah, this is who you should always, this is who you always were. And this is who I, who I always thought you were. So it was more like, yeah, you were in your right place. Um, and he loved sharing music with me. And he has great, he did have great taste. I mean, he was the first person I think that played me Eva Cassidy and some other cool stuff. And I got some great CDs from, from his house. One of the last times I really hung out with him, he was in LA and I was in LA. Uh, he was in LA for some sort of manufacturing thing for his, for his furniture. I think they were trying to, he had an importing exporting business too of Asian antiquities and uh, furnishings and stuff. So there was part of something, something to do with his business. He was out there. And my friend, Michael Malley, the actor and showrunner and um, from, you know, he played, <laughs> this is actually great, great. This dovetails with the conversation. And, and I think they might, I think it was before Glee. Yeah, it was, I think it was before Glee, but he played, um, he played the support of dad on, on Glee, you know, uh, when they met, they really, they really hit it off. So Mike was out there and I was out there for, um, I was out in LA to uh, see this play that Mike had written that I scored. And uh, we were in this little black box theater and I brought my uncle, my uncle came and my uncle just got, I, I think he got more a kick out of that than anything else. Like the fact that he was, he was watching, you know, that's like uh, Brian Doyle Murray was in this little play and it was, it was a real play and his, his nephew had scored it and he really bonded I don't know. He really clicked with Mike. And I got to say this, uh, you know, Michael Malley was this guy that I got to know relatively late in life. In the late nineties, we met. Um, uh, actually my daughter was born already when we first met in 99. So right around that time, but we became really close friends really quickly. And I think Mike does that, has that impact on a lot of people, but um, Mike was, Mike just showed up in LA. I'm sorry, in Miami when my uncle died, when I was down there, he just came. Yeah. I mean, it just, it, it just chokes me up because he, he, here's this guy with his, he's, he's got a career. He's got two little, two little, like very young kids and he just gets on a plane and comes and it was, it was just incredible, you know?
Thank you to Bill and Neil for taking the time to share this story. And now on to a few recommendations from Bill. Interestingly, I mean, this ties into Buffalo Tom a little bit. I went to the wake. Well, I shouldn't get into that. I, I'll just say I, I ran into our um, our old manager, the Buffalo Tom's old manager, Tom Johnston, who was hugely, um, hugely influential for Buffalo Tom, of course, a pivotal uh, presence, like sort of basically the fourth Buffalo Tom member. And he um, he asked me if I had read this book, uh, A Little Devil in America, Notes and Praise of Black Performance. Hanif uh, Adurakib, I think is, is how, how, how he pronounces his name. I'm not sure. Um, and uh, I had not read it. So he just sent it to me. And that's kind of how, you know, if something like is just appealing to me, it goes right to the top of the pile. And I really do have a pile. I've been backed up in totally in Leon Russell land for the last two years, reading very little for pleasure. Uh, you know, New Yorkers stacked up in, in, in the magazine rack and, books stacking up in shelves. Um, and I figured I would just go into fiction uh, to start reading fiction right out of this and certainly not into music stuff again, but this this just seemed really compelling. And it's been really interesting to read it. I'm, I'm, I'm almost finished with it. Um, it's a He's a poet uh, by trade, I think mainly. So it's it's got, I, I like music books like that. It's not just exclusively music. It's about all of black performance uh, in America and 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 what that means and it's it's not a huge long tome it's a it's a it's a concise and very poetically written uh book and very personal heavy on the point of view um as far as music i'm a bit all over the place i mean i i for the last few years i keep coming back to like the the new artists that have risen to the surface for me and stuck let's say because you know I, I put i put a ton on kind of new stuff Put, put a ton of new stuff on playlists and then forget that I love that band or, you know, that song. Um, but what I, what I keep coming back to and listening to from front to back are our big thief albums. And I just think Adrian Lenker is one of the great writers uh, period. I, I just think she's an amazing songwriter and I, I find everything that they put out uh, again, engrossing and, uh, and compelling. Um, and I, I, I just think she, I think that they're going to go down from at least for people like me as one of the great bands. I mean, Phoebe Bridgers is up there for me as well. And, uh, but not quite to bringing me back like, like big thief, which has a bit more rock and roll edge to it. Um, and I'm always getting, my daughter's 22 and she's wide open and I send her stuff. She sends me stuff. So I'm always listening to stuff there, but I mean, my thing is really going back to old stuff, especially old stuff that I missed, you know, you know, I'm just like looking at, what I've been playing lately. And it's like, you know, uh, um, a Jimmy Heath record or, you know, old jazz and soul records that I might not have known about. And, I mean, and, and working on Leon Russell, uh, he had such wide ranging tentacles cause he was a session guy for the entire, almost the entire 1960s from 61 to 68, 69. So that turned me on to a lot of uh, uh, great music that I, I might not have really delved deep into like i mean my one of my favorite periods of music and i'm not alone in this is is that sort of 68 to 72 where you've got delaney and bonnie uh and their their influence on like people like clapton and and and, and harrison george harrison and the mad dogs and englishmen scene and and how that sort of 
exploded out into the early 70s, but specifically that R&B gospel meets, meets rock and roll thing that really kind of begat uh, All Things Must Pass and, and Delaney and Bonnie alone, their records are, are amazing, but Exile on Main Street and, 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 and of course, uh, Sticky Fingers, uh, that kind of that kind of scene, which was also around the time when Aretha Franklin was was doing her amazing Grace record. So I, I have this thing for the gospel influence on rock and roll in particular. When we were young, my wife and I, uh, yeah, we were married probably. It was early days of our marriage in the 90s. We drove down and took a road trip to Nashville and Memphis, and we went uh, and made a pilgrimage to Reverend Al Green's church. And uh, I thought it would be a bit touristy, maybe, or it would just be awkward or something. But it was the most welcoming, authentic thing that I'd been to. I mean, there were a couple of other tourists, I guess. But for the most part, it was an actual small, smallish congregation. And the music was incredible. And, I, and it went on for like two hours before I, you know, we, we had, I think we had to go catch a plane or something. We were like... I got to leave. But I mean, if this was church, <laughs> I would be in church every Sunday. I don't know if it was Catholic or synagogue or what, you know, if because the music, I mean, as I, you know, as a couple of people I talked to for the Leon book said, you know, Leon felt like, you know, he wasn't, he was a spiritual guy. Uh, people think that he was, grew up in the church, but for him, it wasn't, he grew up in like Protestant church for him. Music was God. And I think a lot of musicians feel the same way. It's like, that's how I commune with anything beyond myself is through music. That's when I feel most quote unquote holy. Like I'm in touch with something other than just this sort of material world. That's it for today's episode. You can buy my book, Live Through That, that features other artists from the 90s wherever you buy your books. Or you can get 15% off the book by using the promo code PODCAST15 by ordering at the link on the podcast page. Bill also wrote about this incident on The Observer, and you can still find it out there on the web. I've included a link to the story in the show notes. And if you like this show, please subscribe so you'll know when the latest episode comes out. You can also follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Mike Hipple Photo, all one word. Thanks for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.